Well, we are in Exodus. We're still in the 20th chapter. We're getting ready to finish this up today. And have you ever wondered when you read what God demands in the Ten Commandments? I mean, technically you look at it and it's not that many rules. And they don't really appear to be all that hard, do they? But when you look at it and you understand everything that is being said, the people's reaction to me is a little bit strange. They don't run up to the Lord and say, give me a high five, I've done this. You remember there were people who talked about doing those kind of things. The Apostle Paul said that the way he thought about himself when he was a Pharisee before his conversion, he said, as touching the law, blameless. Boy, that's a pretty bold statement. You remember the rich young ruler as he came up and he spoke to Jesus and he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And remember that interchange? And the uh, Lord said, you know what the law says. And he named some of the Ten Commandments. And the rich young ruler goes, I've done those since I was a kid. Done those from my youth. And uh, there was a, 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 an air, I guess, of self-righteousness as time went by as some of the Jewish people began to look at the Ten Commandments and they assumed that if they kept most of them most of the time, that's all that mattered. It would almost be like maybe uh, you grade yourself as you look at all Ten Commandments and you go, hey, sweet, I got a 71.5. That's kind of the way the Jews began to look at the Ten Commandments and their righteousness that they thought that they would earn, that they could gain by keeping those things. But it's interesting at the initial thing, if you want to know how it is supposed to be, take a look at this initial reading of the Ten Commandments. When God gave those commandments, and notice how the people reacted. And we're going to kind of focus in on that today. And we're going to um, try to uh, understand that as we talk about a full atonement. A full atonement. I want to be atoned. I want my sins to be forgiven. And I don't want it to be just a a 71% or a 51% atonement, just enough to get in. I need a full atonement. I need the Lord to do something for me that will touch every part of my life and that will cleanse me and that will take care of all of the uh, sin problems that I have. A lot of us have come to the place to where we don't really want to play games anymore with God. We want to be right with God. A lot of us have come to the place to where we see that any sin and any stain in our life, that it messes up everything. It's not something that can just be overlooked or forgotten about. Something has to be done. And that is the way that uh, the people seem to react a little bit differently. Not a single person Uh, says, yay, I'm so glad that God revealed that. Look what a great person I am. And they come up and they want to give God a high five or something like that. And so I want you to look at this and pay attention to how the people respond when God gives them these ten simple commands. We're in uh, chapter 20, 
And we're in verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Let me emphasize that. They trembled and stood afar off. There was nothing here about the giving of the law that drew them to the Lord. In fact, notice it makes them do the opposite. They stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Notice their reaction again to hearing the voice of God, to hearing the commands of God. There was nothing in there that affirmed them. There was nothing in there that drew them to the Lord. There was nothing in there that said, hey, you're okay. You made it. You squeaked by. You're mainly righteous, mostly righteous, and that'll do it. Notice they react. You go speak to God. We don't want to hear anymore lest we die. Let's move on. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. God's got a purpose to clean you up. You are looking at everything completely different. Is that the way it always goes? So we get down to verse 21. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness before uh, where God was. And then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with uh, me, gods of silver or gods of gold, and you shall make for yourselves an altar of earth, and you shall make uh, this for me, and you shall sacrifice on, your, on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings and your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I uh, record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar or this stone altar that your nakedness may not be exposed in it. And that ends the chapter. And it's interesting that the people of God, as they begin thinking about who they are and what God has revealed to them, they get to a certain point where they go, we don't want to hear anything else. Moses, you go take care of this. We've heard all we want to hear. We've heard all that we can stand. And uh, we don't want it lest we die. Again, to me, that seems strange. I would think for people that were mainly moral and 
uh, mainly abiding by these kind of things, that maybe they would have looked and their reaction would have been, I'm okay, you're okay, let's go together and let's go and approach God on the basis of our own righteousness. I mean, after all, that's what we try to do so many times. As we've said before, every religion on the face of the earth falls into one of two categories. It's either one of grace, unearned favor by God, that would be Christianity, or it's going to be works, human achievement. Look what I've done. Look how good I am. Look how I merit. Look how I have earned the favor of God or the right of God, uh, the right to stand before God, excuse me. And notice how so many people today will try to say, how do I know I'm going to heaven? Well, I, I basically keep the Ten Commandments. Well, you de- keep, do you keep all of them? Well, I don't keep all of them. Nobody's perfect. Nobody can do everything, but most of it I do. And they think that God grades on, grades on a curve. And as long as they get most of them, a certain percentage, and as long as they're better than everybody else, you've got to rise to the top of the class, don't you? As long as you do that, then you're going to be fine and you're going to make it. One of the things that is interesting to do is to go through the Bible and follow what is called by some the law of first mention. And the law of first mention means look at the original statement or the original story or the original situation about uh, a certain topic or an event. And as we do that, here is the first reading of the Ten Commandments, a summarization of the law of God to the people of God, the ones He has chosen, the ones He has redeemed, the ones who have been through Passover, the ones who have been through the Red Sea. I mean, these are the people of God, right? And you'll notice that in this first mention of these commandments, how the people reacted, and that's probably more of the way we ought to react than we actually do. And these people that say, well, I think if I can just keep the Ten Commandments, if I can just keep most of them, I'll be okay with God, and I can go up and defend myself. And some people even have the idea that they're going to put God on trial. When I get before God, I'm going to have Him explain Himself about some things. You don't see anything like that at all among the people of God, do you? In fact, their reaction to this is very telling. Let's outline this little section of Scripture like this. Number one, let's talk about the word awareness. Awareness. I heard an old-timer say one time, you've got to get a man lost before you can get him saved. You know, I found out that is so true. When I talk to people about the Lord or about their spiritual situation You know, whenever they think they're okay, whenever they think that they've got enough going for them that they're going to make it to heaven, they're not interested in the cross. They're not interested in the sacrifice of Jesus. They're not interested in mercy. They don't think they need it. They're not interested in grace because to them, grace is just being nice and kind. They don't understand that it means unearned favor. But there's something interesting about the reaction of the people of God at Sinai. Why did they back away? Why did they tell Moses, we've heard enough? Why did they kind of back away and pull away from God? Well, the easy answer, of course, is 
their depravity. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that no one seeks after God. That would include them as well. But didn't they already kind of have a knowledge of him? Hadn't they already been through the shed blood of the innocent lamb at Passover, that type of thing? What, what is going on here? And I'm going to have you think about the word awareness because as soon as God said, for example, you shall honor your father and your mother, every kid in Israel that was old enough to understand, let's put that in there, every kid knew that they were a sinner at that point. When God said, you shall love the Lord your God, and you shall worship him only, every adult in that congregation became aware of their sin if they had ever bowed before an idol. In fact, it's not long after this, they actually make an idol, don't they? That golden calf. Everybody is indicted. In other words, when the law came out, it was not just God saying, this is the way you ought to live, this is the way I want you to live, this is uh, how you ought to conduct yourself. It was also like an indictment. It was also like maybe an arraignment in a court. These are the charges that are brought against you. What are the charges? You really have not worshipped God as you ought to. Some of you have used God in vain. You've even made idols. Some of you have failed to honor your father and your mother. Some of you are thieves. Some of you are murderers. That would include Moses, wouldn't it? And, um, I mean, on and on uh, down it would go. And all of a sudden, the people became aware of their sin, aware of their situation before God, aware of the holiness of God. And I'm going to go out on a limb. This is just my opinion. I have heard people that, uh, well, they said that they died, maybe on an operating table or something like that, and then they came back. What did you see? And most of them, even people that don't claim to know the Lord, they've never repented of their sins or anything like that, they say, oh, it was a bright light, it was so peaceful, there was beautiful music and all of that. Think about that. That makes absolutely no sense. Because when a person dies, they either go to heaven because they've repented of their sins and trusted in the sacrifice of Christ in full, or they go to the hell to hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels, separated from God, which the Bible says is a place of outer darkness, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, and it's a place of eternal punishment. Well, what's going on when we hear these stories? What's going on? Well, I don't know fully, and no one else does either, but uh, I think sometimes there's a demonic deception so that somebody who is lost comes back and they kind of give you the idea that everybody goes into the presence of God and it's beautiful and it's loving and it's wonderful and all of that type of stuff to downplay sin, to downplay the need for the gospel and to downplay the sacrifice of Christ. Okay. Now, I want you to think about this. What the Israelis here saw on Mount Sinai I mean, there, was, there, there, were, there were trumpet blasts that got louder and louder and louder. 
There was rumbling and thundering. There was lightning. And the mountain was smoking. And it was an absolutely terrifying, terrifying situation. They had never seen anything like it. They would never get over it. It, it was like the worst horror movie you had ever seen. I have a feeling that for people who do not know Christ, that when they die and pass into eternity, they don't see beautiful lights and peace and love and all of that. I got a feeling they probably experienced something like the children of Israel did in the presence of God when their sin and God's holiness was made fully aware to them and that's what happened when they saw all of this they knew what God demanded they saw who God was they saw who they were and they became aware of the sin in their life have you ever dealt with your sin it's so incredibly incredibly important because we serve a holy God secondly I want you to notice that there was a witness Moses says do not fear. And when you and I are in this world and when people talk about God and they have a misunderstanding of God and they don't know what to really think of God, they're messed up and all of that, we are called to be the witnesses, the ambassadors for Christ. Don't be afraid. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is a loving God and God is a forgiving God to those who will repent and who will believe the gospel but most of the time they look at that and they say that makes no sense to us and we don't really want anything else to do with it and we may say to them that God has come to you and that his, that his fear might be before you. He wants you to honor and respect him and to take sin seriously and then Moses says so that you may not sin. And we want people to get right with God so that they live for Him, so that they glorify Him. The Bible says all have sinned, you, me, everyone, and we fall short of the glory of God. And what we want to do is get saved so that that sin is put away from us, so that we don't have to experience the penalty of sin in hell, and so that God's Holy Spirit can live within us and sanctify us and deliver us from the power of sin. And one day when we get to heaven, praise the Lord, we will Will even be delivered from the very presence of sin. We are witnesses of what God can do. We are witnesses of the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God, as well as we are witnesses of the justice and the holiness and also the terror of God. The Bible says that it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And not very many people really think about that. Not very many people really have any degree of understanding about any of that. But Moses did. He had a different perspective in this situation. He was a witness of the goodness of God and also a witness of the holiness and the justice and even of the hatred of God towards sin. Very important, isn't it? And we are to be witnesses. And God spreads his gospel through witnesses like you and like me. We're ambassadors for Christ under the Great Commission. Thirdly, notice something strange comes up. The Bible says down in verse 22, and he begins to talk about to the children of Israel, 
He says that I want you to think about, after he says some preliminary things about Moses and about idolatry, he talks about, down in uh, 24, he talks about a sacrifice. Because salvation does not come without a sacrifice. Now, let's be clear. By sacrifice, I don't mean you and I giving up something like uh, maybe some of you do for Lent or something like that. We don't mean that kind of a sacrifice. We mean a sacrifice that will actually purge and pay for, and theologians would say propitiate for sin. How do we get the wrath of God, deserved wrath of God, let's say, off of us, and how do we get the grace of God, the undeserved favor, the unending love? How do, we, how do we do all of that? Well, it is through a sacrifice. Now, we might assume that it's a sacrifice we make. That's what Cain thought. That's why he and Abel offered two different things. Cain offered the work of his hands. Here I'm bringing you all of the best of what I could produce. Abel brought a lamb and the lamb's blood, the innocent uh, blood of the lamb shed for guilty Abel. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice, show, showing us a pattern, and God did not accept Cain's sacrifice, which again shows us a pattern. So many people think a sacrifice is something that I make, that I put together, and that I give up to show God just how much I care about Him. I'm not going to eat chocolate for a year, or I'm going to make myself go to church every Sunday, or something like that as a sacrifice to God. That has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is innocent, dying and paying the price for the guilty. And that was done on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this that the Lord speaks of here in this section of Scripture is interesting because even though God lays down the law, He also has to lay down a sacrifice because these people in Israel, number one, they had already broken so many of these laws. How do we get atonement for that? They're going to have to offer a sacrifice that pictures what Christ would do on the cross hundreds of years later. And what are they going to do for the still future sin that they are going to commit when the day after getting the law, they violate it? What are they going to do and who's going to pay for that? There's got to be innocent blood shed on behalf of the guilty. And so when the Lord talks about this sacrifice, he also talks about an altar. And isn't it interesting that the altar that he says must be made out of dirt? It's an earthen altar is what he said, right? Why? Only God can make the dirt, right? That's a creation of God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the dirt and the earth, we might say. And God is saying, I don't want the altar to be the work of your hands. I don't want it to be something that you put together. I don't want it to be something that you crafted. I want it to be something that I have made. In fact, he even says, and if you want to make the altar out of stone, then it needs to be stone in a natural setting. I don't want it to be hewn stone because whatever your tools have touched, 
Whatever is the work of your hands, we might say, it is going to be a polluted altar. And God says, I don't want anything like that. God said, even if you um, have this altar and you want to make it a big one and a massive one or it's in a big cliff or something like that, don't make steps up uh, to that altar. Remember, they wore robes in those days. He said, people will see your nakedness. There's always shame attached to the works of people. As soon as Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the very first thing that happened is they were aware of their shame. They were aware of their nakedness. It always works that way. God says, I don't want it to be that way. This is something that is to be pure. And this is something that is to be the work of my hands. The sacrifice is always the work of God's hands or it is going to be polluted. It cannot be from us. That's why God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't say you go to the cross or you would have polluted the cross. He didn't say you go and shed your blood and put your blood on the mercy seat or your sinful blood would have polluted the mercy seat. This has to be something that from start to finish is the work of God. And the book of Jonah tells us just a very simple statement Salvation is of the Lord. Everything about your salvation has to be from the Lord. He's the one who lived a perfect life that we could never live. He is the one who died on the cross as the unblemished lamb. He is the one who was raised from the dead under his own power. He is the one who ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father. He is the one that has prepared a place for us in heaven. He is the one who is our advocate. And whenever the enemy accuses us before the throne, Jesus is the one who stands to our defense. Jesus is the one who prays for us, who ever lives to make intercession for us. And all the praise and glory goes to him because it is all of him, by him, and for him. It is not of us in any way, shape, or form. So we see the awareness. People saw through the law of God, not their righteousness, but their sinfulness, and it caused them to pull away. Then we saw the witness of Moses when he said God has a different way and a better way. He wants to save you and sanctify you. Don't be afraid. And then we saw that it all hinges on the basis of an altar that would contain a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus and Jesus alone is that sacrifice that is given for us and on behalf of us. And then we get to this last thing that we want to um, cover and we want to talk about um, let me get caught up to the right place the mediator and I want you to uh, consider the Bible says in this Exodus account of this story that this happened the way we have read it but when you go back to the book of Deuteronomy which was a rewriting of all of these stories uh, it means the second giving of the law, literally. 
Moses tells us something. That when he and God are speaking about this very incidence, the giving of the law and the people's reaction and all of that, God makes a promise. It's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 18. It's not uh, recorded in uh, Exodus. And the Lord says what they have spoken is good. In other words, he is saying they're right about their sin. I agree with them about their sin. And if you were to come before the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, I am a sinner. Please be merciful unto me. The Lord would say what you have spoken is good. It's right. That's who we are. Now, listen. It goes on in verse 18 to say, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he will speak them all that I command him. Who is the Lord talking about? What kind of a prophecy is that? What kind of prophecy, what kind of prophet, pardon me, came along that was raised up by God who was like Moses? Was it Isaiah? Well, Isaiah was a good prophet. Wonderful prophet. We love to read what he writes and he glorified the Lord. Oh, but in Isaiah chapter 6... We have a problem because when Isaiah sees the Lord, you know what he says? I'm a sinner. I'm an unclean man with unclean lips, and I come from unclean people. That, that's not who the Lord is speaking of. We could talk about other prophets, John the Baptist and others, but you know who he's speaking of? He's speaking of raising up someone who would be able to speak to the people and give the people the word of God like Moses did, but better than Moses did. Because he's speaking here of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came, and you remember he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was the revelation of God. He also was the one who had the authority to take even the law of Moses and he would say, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, listen to that authority. Like Moses, a man of great authority, greater authority than Moses. God speaking the word of God because Jesus is God. If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. This is the one who came as God in human flesh, not only to reveal the love, grace, and mercy of God to us, but also to show us how much God hates sin. How much does God hate sin? Enough to nail his own son to the cross. How much does God hate sin? Enough to allow his own beloved son to be butchered on our behalf. It also tells you how much he loves you, child of God. It also tells us the links that God would go to through his son in order to save rebellious, undeserving sinners like us. And all of this is because God, through his Holy Spirit and through his law, made us aware of our sin. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But only the children of God really know that and understand it. 
All of us have heard the witness of God through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we have believed what someone told us about the word of God so that we could repent of our sins and believe in what Jesus did for us on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. We look at all of this and we realize that there's only one sacrifice that could pay for our sin, and that is the blood sacrifice of none other than God himself. But how does God shed blood? There's only one way. He has to put on flesh. God incarnate, we celebrate at Christmas, when God put on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ for the sole reason of living a perfect life and then dying as the unblemished lamb, the sacrifice for our sins. What a Savior. And then we have a mediator today. We have someone who speaks to God for us and about us. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We have someone in heaven who defends us even when we're wrong. He defends us against the claims of Satan. And when Satan comes up and says, did you see that? Did you see what Pastor Greg Keenan did? He deserves to go to hell. And it's about that time the Lord Jesus stands up, maybe something like this, holds out his hands before the Father, who is both judge and jury, by the way. And he says, that sin is horrible. That sin is awful. He never should have done that. He knows better than that. And we'll deal with that. But it's paid for by my blood. And the father throws it out of court. Because it is a family matter. We have a mediator before the Lord. Let me close by reading a quote. And God still rejects all the efforts of the natural man to propitiate him. All the attempts of the sinner to win the notice and the merit, the respect of God by his efforts at self-improvement are worse than vain or empty. What God demands of his fallen creatures is that they should take the place of lost sinners before him or the position of lost sinners coming empty-handed to receive undeserved mercy. And that's why we sing. That's why we shout. That's why sometimes we cry. That's why we love the Lord so much. His mercy is not a paycheck. His mercy is not a reward. His mercy is undeserved. And it's based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? You can go back in the Old Testament to a story like this. And what do you run into? The redemptive plan of God. The gospel. The grace of God. Some say that's not taught in the Old Testament. That that's just some kind of thing that the early church made up. No, it's on every page nearly of the Old Testament. God's redemptive plan to save sinners like us by grace through faith, on the basis of a sacrifice that would atone for our sins. And praise God, in the Old Testament, they look forward to the cross. In the New Testament, we look back to the cross. But the 
idea is this. It's all about the cross to the glory and praise of our great God and His grace. Revel in that today. Rest in that today. That's the God that we serve. And if you've never trusted Him, turn to Him today. He will save sinners like you because He saved sinners like me for His glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You that on this cold day our hearts can be warmed because of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for making us aware of our sin and your grace. Thank you for those witnesses through history who have told us the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for planning and carrying out the sacrifice that would pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future, and secure us for eternity. And thank you for the mediator who prays for us and defends us even now. Even Jesus Christ. Not Mary, not the saints, not someone who's gone on. For the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time. And may the Lord bless you. Stay warm. And we'll look forward to being together again soon. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for joining us this morning on this cold Sunday morning uh, via live stream. Some of you will join us after, this, after that date. We hope you've been blessed. We hope you have worshipped with us through the singing and most of all through the study of God's Word. As we go through this next week, there's an unknown to the weather. We have no idea exactly what the weather's going to do, so we may be working remotely more than usual. So if you need us, just call us via our, via our cell phones, or you can send us a text. We want to keep up with you. We're looking forward to next Sunday morning. We're looking forward to better weather and seeing most of you back here in person next Sunday. Thank you. Have a safe and wonderful week.